Well, good evening. Take your Bible and open to the book of Romans, chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. For every, or let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God uh, to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants uh, of God, uh, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all that uh, what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, uh, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So tonight we're looking here at this portion of Scripture again for, for a second time. We're concern, uh, concerning the issue of the Christian's response or the Christian's relationship to the government. And again, I think with the unprecedented events of the past few years have really caused believers everywhere to stop and consider uh, Scripture's teaching very carefully on the uh, Christian's relationship to the government. Uh, the famous statement that Jesus makes about uh, paying uh, taxes uh, in uh, Matthew 21 or 22, verse 21, he says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and the things that God, the things that are God. That informs us there's a le legitimate role for a secular or civil government. Uh, but it also tells us that as believers, we live life in two kingdoms. There's a realm that belongs to Caesar, and there's a realm that belongs to God. <clears throat> so again, as Christians, we're citizens of two kingdoms. So as first citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we're called to obey God first and foremost. And then secondly, as citizens of the kingdom of men, we're commanded by God to submit to earthly rulers. Uh, therefore, we're called to think biblically and called to think carefully about our role in each of these spheres in which we dwell, and, and to think carefully and biblically concerning how we relate to those who are in authority over us, even those in authority over us who might uh, be unpleasant or particularly uh, unlikable. Uh, as I told you last time, I think this whole section of Scripture is really packed with principles that, are that apply to very real-world problems and situations to all believers through all cultures and all times, no matter what kind of government uh, we find ourselves living under. And, and this portion of Scripture obviously has some very practical uh, implications to the early church who were receiving uh, originally what Paul had to say, because at the time that Paul pins the letter, probably somewhere between 55 and 60 AD, uh, the wicked and, and depraved Nero is the emperor in power there in Rome. And Nero ruled from about 54 to 68 AD, and Nero was a, a, a fierce persecutor of Christians. John Fox, in his book of Martyrs, uh, describes the time uh, as follows. He says, in AD 67, Nero ordered the burning of Rome. The fire lasted for nine days, and when the blame turned to Nero, Nero blamed the Christians. And Nero came to the Christians with a new vengeance. Nero contrived all manner of punishments for the Christians, uh, that uh, was that the most infernal imaginations could design. In particular, he had some sewn into skins of wild beasts, and then they were thrown, uh, they were attacked by dogs until they expired. Others dressed in shirts made of stiff, uh, made stiff with wax, were fitted to stakes and set on fire in his garden in order to illuminate them. This persecution was in general throughout the whole Roman Empire. In the course of it, he says, St. Paul and St. Peter were also martyred. So how do, how do Christians respond? How do Christians live uh, uh, and, and relate to governments like that? Again, it's a very practical uh, question. And, and again, in the day in which we live, there are people throughout the world, who, uh, believers, who live under various kinds of uh, persecutions where they have to think carefully uh, on this issue. So what is our, as Christians, what's our relationship to government? Again, many governments that are unjust, immoral, ungodly, how do we live in the world as citizens of two kingdoms? And for us to have an accurate understanding of that and our relationship as Christians to the government over us, we have to have an accurate interpretation of the Scripture. We've got to make sure that our understanding is based from a proper understanding of the Bible and not from a North American viewpoint as citizens of the United States. We need to think from a biblical standpoint. 
as being citizens of the kingdom of God. Again, we need to see all of life at the top of the chapter. We need to see all of life through the mercies of God in our own life. And we need to think, how do we live in the world? And how do we live as citizens of the kingdom of God? Now, doctrine, all doctrinal truth, true understanding, theological understanding is always based on a careful, accurate exegesis of the scripture and then an exposition of that a teaching. And then again, if we're going to respond accordingly, we have to have know exactly what uh, Paul is saying, because we don't want our actions to be ill-informed, our actions to be incorrect. So I told you, I think part of the whole discussion here on our Christians' response to government, I really think part of the whole is uh, centers around the biblical understanding of who we are in this world as believers. Who we are as believers, why has God left us in the, the world as the church, and what's our responsibility here? And I told you last time, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that, that we are ambassadors of Christ, right? We're ambassadors of Christ. We're begging men on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And an ambassador, I mean, it just if you think on a state level, somebody goes and the ambassador to a certain country, they have been set by the other country to represent the king, the sovereign, whatever, the ruler in that other realm. And, and that's what we are to do. We are to represent our king, our, our sovereign in the realm of this world. So, so um, uh, an ambassador represents the one who has sent him, not his own opinion, opinions, not his own agenda. Again, God has left us as the church in the world to represent him, to declare again the interests of our sovereign, and the interest of our sovereign is the gospel. It's the gospel, it's the exaltation, and it's the worship of the person of Jesus Christ. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said of us, we are salt and light, right? He didn't say go be, but he said you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Salt retards corruption, and light shines into the darkness. So we have a responsibility as Christians, as ambassadors of Christ, to be an effective gospel-centered influence in the world. So we, therefore, we have to have a biblical understanding of everything, especially a biblical understanding of how we relate to government uh, around us. Now, when Jesus was in the flesh, when he was incarnate, uh, the world that he was in was every bit a world that was as wicked as ours, if, ours, ours is, if not more so. And as I look at the Scripture, I personally don't see anywhere in the Scripture where where Christ protested against all of the social and moral evils of his day. He didn't try to overturn the wrongs of his society. He didn't not certainly, certainly did not try to instigate some kind of political uh, revolution to overthrow Caesar. Uh, his mission was to seek and save the lost. He came into the world to call men to repentance and faith. So again, his attention was given to the souls of men. My personal opinion, it would be a fool's errand for the church to abandon its true ministry in the world as the herald of the gospel in order to become a rival political force in the world. Now, some ministries throughout the years have uh, done that very thing. The moral majority, if you're old enough to remember that group of people, right? There's always been people who have said, look, the church has got to be an alternative uh, political force in the world. My personal opinion, it's a fool's errand. It's a completely against um, what the Scripture has called us to do and how, how the Scripture has called us to represent Christ. Because again, government, human government, no matter what kind of human government we live under, is comparatively, comparatively insignificant. Why is that? Well, because the state is only temporal. That's it. Okay, We jump up and down every single four years. And we vote for this guy and yell about that guy. And every four years, the state is only temporal, but souls are what? Eternal. Souls are eternal. Human beings live forever. So all of the corruption, all the evil, all the perversions that we see in the culture are all due to a fallen, rebellious human heart that can only be cured by the gospel. Now I'm going to say that again, and I think this is one of those statements we've heard so often, we just go, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, we need to understand that. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I told you a few weeks ago, I've been reading a book by Spurgeon on, on, on ministry. Okay, and, and Spurgeon believed that the gospel was the answer to the world's problems. Uh-huh. No, no, yeah. Amen, thank you. Thank you, one person is awake out there, right? Everybody else had way too much to eat for lunch and all. No, the gospel, it, it, the gospel is the problem. All of the corruption, all of the evil, the gospel is the answer. All of the corruption, all the evil, all the perversions we see in the culture are all due to the fallen, rebellious human heart that can only be cured by the gospel. And when we, when we believe that anything else is more helpful than the gospel, 
we are in great danger of giving up the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the issue. Now, I told you the last time I used the analogy of uh, <clears throat> sicknesses and, and um, uh, symptoms. We all like to have our symptoms taken care of, right? Give me a pill for my headache. When a doctor, a soul doctor in this case, wants to know why do you have a headache? What's the cause of the headache? What's the etiology, the underlying cause, right? Do you just have some kind of <clears throat> deal like you've not drinking enough water or do you have a brain tumor? Why do you have a headache? We just all want symptoms. We, if we're going to be good soul doctors, if we're going to get to the root of the issue and understand that the gospel alone is the cure, then we have to understand etiology. And every evil, every corruption, every perversion we see in the culture is because of a fallen human rebellious heart against the person of God that's only cured by the gospel, only cured by the person of Jesus Christ. So if we ever want to see any kind of real change take place, in the world, in our nation, in society in general, then that can only take place when men's hearts are trans, uh, transformed and changed one person at a time. Only when men see their desperate need of the person of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> repent and embrace mankind's only hope, that being the Savior. And we need to understand that since Genesis chapter 3, in the world, all we have is fallen sinners. Since Genesis chapter 3, in the world, all we have is fallen sinners. Those who are governed, right, and those who rule over us <clears throat> are all in the same category. Fallen rebels against God. And the only solution to mankind's problems, the only solution to mankind's issue is the person of Jesus Christ and the belief in, in, belief in the gospel of grace. Therefore, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, to spend our time attempting to alter the state or any other cultural issue in the world when we can be offering people eternal salvation is a bad bargain. To abandon the message that gives life to the eternal soul in favor of a temporal change prostitutes the purpose for the believer's life in the world. All right, so let's do a, a quick review here. Um, and, and the quick review is going to kind of kind of mold into the points of the sermon towards the end there. But you, you're okay. So I think we need to hear a, th a few things here uh, a couple of times. And you're going to have the opportunity to do that. Right? So here we go. 13.1. Uh, uh, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. I said the very first principle that we gleaned from this time last week, the very first principle is the fact that God is sovereign over the affairs of men. Right? God is sovereign over the affairs of men. Of men. He's the one who's established all authority. The issue is not whether government is good government or a bad government. The issue is not whether the ruler is good or bad. In, again, in the context of the original audience that Paul's writing to, the, the Nero is the emperor. I mean, he's, one, again, one of the most notoriously cruel, thoroughly wicked rulers who's ever sat on any earthly throne. But nevertheless, the position that Nero sits in as emperor is a legitimate God-given authority, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, in the history of God's dealing with his people, Pharaoh was another <clears throat> wicked ruler who came and oppressed the Jews. Uh, he enslaved them. He arrogantly resisted Moses and God's demand through Moses to let the people of God go. And, of course, God judged the uh, arrogance of the Egyptian ruler, right? Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? Well, God said, well, I'll, I'll give you a little object lesson here. Uh, I'm going to send ten plagues, and it's going to culminate in the death of the firstborn child, right? And in the end, uh, um, Pharaoh's armies were destroyed by being drowned in the Red Sea. And yet, as evil as this man was, nevertheless, he was put in that position uh, of authority by God himself, which Paul clearly uh, asserts in his teaching in Romans 9, verse 17, where Paul quotes God telling Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So God is sovereign. God raised up Pharaoh so that God might display his wrath in judging him and so that God might proclaim his power and his glory throughout the entire earth. Nebuchadnezzar is another man <clears throat> in the history of um, uh, rulers dealing with God's people. He's another arrogant ruler. He's uh, one who thought he was superior to God. He'd been able to conquer Jerusalem to raise R-A-Z-E, raise the temple, and <clears throat> then carry off into Babylon all the gold and silver, the objects that the Jewish uh, uh, priests used in their worship. And in the first four chapters of the book of Daniel is a record of the struggle that takes place between Nebuchadnezzar as he contends for sovereignty with God and God who humbles him, God who shows him that God alone and not Nebuchadnezzar is the most high uh, God ruler of all. 
Uh, three times in Daniel chapter 4, the text says, The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever he wishes. That's Daniel 4, verse 17, verse 25, verse 32. So Nebuchadnezzar hears these words in his dream. Uh, Daniel recites them to uh, him as the word of God. And then thirdly, Nebuchadnezzar hears this word from heaven when God uh, comes and utters his uh, important and symbolic judgment, listen, of insanity, right? To the stiff-necked ruler, right? God, God removes Nebuchadnezzar from this position of power and authority where Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's the ruler of the entire world and the entire universe. Look what my hands have accomplished. And then what does God do? He, he drives him out where he's eating grass like an animal seven years. Point of the story is it is insanity to rebel against the Most High God, right? That's the whole point of Nebuchadnezzar seven years eating grass and fingers and hair, fingers like claws and hairs like, you know, feathers or whatever, right? But in the end, Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses. Right? He seems to get the message of Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar says, In the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth that are counted as nothing, he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Verse 37 of that chapter says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all of his works are true, his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Right? God can make the highest ruler, the highest earthly ruler, bow down and eat grass for seven years uh, in, in humiliation because he's the sovereign, not man. So that's what we have to understand. There's no authority except from God, <clears throat> and those which exist are established by God. So again, God is the one who's established authority, and God is the one who's established government, no matter who is in charge. Government does not exist except by God's decree. And again, government, government is ordained by God for the good of the people, for the protection of the people, for their well-being, to make sure that chaos does not break out, that evil men do not go unchecked and unpunished. Therefore, we are in active rebellion against the authority of God if we're resisting or opposing God's authority, and, and then in doing so, bringing judgment upon ourselves. Again, let every person, so the idea is everyone, uh, the idea is there's no exception, be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Verse 2, therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who oppose will receive condemnation upon themselves. So again, <clears throat> if we are in active rebellion against authority, we're really opposing God, and, and then bring, bringing judgment upon ourselves. So again, because authority belongs to God, authority comes from God, um, uh, we need to recognize that. Now, commentator uh, Leon Morris says this, Paul is firmly convinced that God is in control. That's helpful. Because we need to be in that same position, right? Paul is firmly convinced that God is in control and that nobody secures a position of rulership unless God permits. Ordered government is not a human device, but is something divine in origin. The servants of God must accordingly submit to themselves to the laws, uh, to its laws. And Paul regards rulers not as autonomous, but as established by God. The ruler is God's servant, chapter or verse four of that, uh, that text. That gives the ruler a special dignity, but at the same time stresses that his position is a subordinate one. He is to do not whatever he wishes, but the will of God for him uh, in, in this situation. So again, all rulers are established by God. All rulers are uh, in subjection themselves to the God who's put him in that position. Now, that ruler may misuse his position of authority that God has given him, uh, because then it's true that authorities at time can be unjust. I mean, Paul himself knew that at times authorities could be unjust, uh, because when he was an authority, right, when he was a Pharisee, he was one who persecuted the church. Now, while it's true that rulers may be unjust, and Paul understands that, they mis may misuse their authority that God has given them, the point is that does not alter the fact that their authority is given to them by God. Order is important, and the state embodies order, says Leon Morris. Therefore, when we resist authority, God's authority, <clears throat> again, we're opposing him. It's just really that simple. So if we're to have a specific relationship to the governing authorities over us, with those who are in authority over us or above us, we have to understand what it means when it says be in subjection. 
right? Be in subjection to the governing authority. So what does it mean to be in subjection? Well, I told you the, the, the Greek word there, subjection, or be in subjection is hupotasso. It means to line up under, to rank, so to subordinate, to yield, to voluntarily submit yourself to the authority that is over you. Now, because God has ordained government, does that <clears throat> mean that we must absolutely always, in every situation, every single instant, obey government? Right? So somebody from Nero's office shows up with a uh, wax uh, shirt that's just exactly your size. Does that mean you have to put it on immediately right? to being in compliance with what God says to do? Well, no, that's not, that's not the issue. Right? Submission does not necessarily mean blind obedience because the difference between obedience and submission is obedience deals with performance. Obedience deals with performance. You either do something or you don't do it subjection or submission deals with the attitude of the heart. There may, there may be times when you cannot obey the authorities over you, but there should never be a time when any of our hearts, our heart attitudes should not be submissive or in subjection because God commands that. Be every person, every soul being in subjection to the governing authorities over them. So every one of us, every person should show genuine honor and respect for those who are in authority over us at whatever level. That is something that has completely been jettisoned from the culture. That there's no respect for authority anywhere. I mean, I don't see it. I mean, everybody's kind of doing whatever they want to do. And when you don't like somebody, then you just double down and say, yell and scream and jump up and down and say how much of a dirty, no good, whatever, and how incompetent. And how, I mean, there is no respect for positions of authority anymore, and, and that's sad. That's in part why, part of the breakdown of the culture, because there is no authority. We, we, we're going to get rid of the police. We're just going to let people do whatever they want to do. I mean, it's another issue for another time, but, but that's part of the breakdown of the culture. God is demanding not absolute obedience, put the wax shirt on, but he is demanding a hard attitude towards authority. So again, it doesn't really matter whether the authority over us is just or unjust. It doesn't matter whether the authority over us is competent or incompetent. It doesn't matter whether the ruler is moral, immoral, kind or cruel, godly or ungodly. None of those things are really the issue with authority and our relationship to it. It's our heart attitude towards the one who is in the position of authority that is really the issue. Will we submit ourselves? Will we subject ourselves? Will we voluntarily place ourselves under those who have been delegated as authority over us? Because that's what authority is. All authority is delegated. It's delegated from God, uh, the word uh, uh, exousia, authority, power, right? God is the one who's in charge of power. God's the one who's in charge of authority, rule, uh, governance. So biblical submission realizes that God is sovereign over the governing authorities. Again, whether they be good or bad. Biblical submission is understanding that authority comes from God himself, and there's no authority except God-given authority. So biblical submission to authority believes that God is able to accomplish his will in our life, whoever may be placed in a position of power or authority over us. Again, having a proper understanding of biblical submission means that we understand that God is sovereign, not man. Again, biblical, a biblical understanding of submission forces us to place our attention in not God or the human, or pay, to place our attention upon God and not on the human ruler over us. Biblical submission forces us to place our attention upon God and not on the human ruler that's over us. So it's the attitude of the heart. It's the attitude of the heart that understands that God has put people in a position of authority for his purposes. For his purposes. Because we don't know what God is doing. We're not sovereign. He is, right? We, we don't know what God is doing, but we do know that what God does. He does for his purpose. He does for our good, and he does for his glory. One writer says this, Ray Pritchard. He says, uh, God says, by me kings reign. The writer says, uh, God takes responsibility for raising up and putting down another. He stands behind the ballot box and behind the armies that march and the navies that sail. He's the unseen hand at work in the nations of the world. Who's in charge of this place? Is everything just spinning rapidly out of control, or is God still sovereign even over 
the, the wicked, perverted governments of the world. That's the issue. Paul says, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So again, when our heart is correct, then the attitude of biblical, uh, the, with an attitude of biblical submission to, towards authority, we acknowledge the fact that God is the sovereign over all. God is the sovereign over all authorities. And again, biblical submission understands that, that God, not man, is in charge. Biblical submission, again, forces us to place our attention on God and not on the human ruler over us. God is the issue, not men. The, the human ruler is acting as instruments in the hands of God because, again, he alone is sovereign. Now, I'm pretty sure that neither Pharaoh nor Nebuchadnezzar thought themselves as working for the Most High God, but in reality, they were, right? So earthly rulers have their agenda and their evil or whatever they're carrying out for their own purposes, but God is, is over top of them, right? It's God who's in charge. It's God who's sovereign. So when we look at men in positions of authority, we tend to forget the fact that God is sovereign, and then we tend to become what? You fill in the words, too. Bitter and angry. Boy, you want to start a fight in a room, bring politics to the table, Right? People tend to become bitter and angry over politics. Everybody sees it like this, and I see it like that. And the reality is, if you just realize that your guy's a moron and my guy's the best guy in the world and just vote for my guy, everything's going to be better, right? I mean, people get bitter and angry when they talk about men, especially in the political realm. But Paul says, look, there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And that's a pretty vital point to understand. That's why I have kept repeating that, and I'm going to keep repeating it, because I think we have a difficulty with it. I think we, in the West, we don't understand sovereigns. We don't have sovereigns. We don't like our ruler. We just get rid of them. Okay, I've got to live with him for four years, but I'm going to vote him out and get another one, right? We don't understand sovereigns. We don't understand, therefore, sovereignty, because we think in the Western mindset. We think like we're citizens of the United States. Again, back in your mind's eye when you think about the world, if your image in your mind doesn't immediately go to Israel, you're thinking wrong. If your mind's eye, you think of the map of the world, you think of the United States, you're thinking as a Western citizen of the United States. We're part of that, that's true, but we're actually on the other side of the world, we're citizens of a bigger kingdom, and Israel's the issue, not the United States. It's what God's doing is the issue. Right? And again, I think especially here in the West, in the United States, we have a very difficult time practically in theology with the fact that uh, the God is in charge of everything because we have grown up and are part of a culture that emphasizes our rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of my own personal happiness. I mean, that's everywhere in this culture. And when we feel like things are not going the way we would like them to go, when we feel like the rulers over us are unjust or incompetent, and their mismanagement is causing a rapid decline everywhere around us, how often, how often do we tend to focus on the way that they are leading incorrectly? It's causing a great inconvenience in our own lives and how that might really dramatically affect our own standard or our own manner of living, right? It's all about us. And how often do we tend to focus on the human leader and forget the fact that God is sovereign behind the affairs of men? Again, it's not that God's not going to hold wicked men accountable, evil men accountable for their evil actions. He will do that. But again, just maybe, I'm going to throw some things out there a little bit speculative. Just maybe, God has a greater plan and purpose for what he's doing in the world than our own personal temporal happiness. Just maybe. Just maybe, God has a bigger plan than just us. And just maybe we're getting rulers over us that we deserve because we're a rebellious people against God and a people that have rejected him. To a rebellious Israel, God said in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4, I will make, and you draw your own conclusions and your own inferences and your own, in your own mind's eye, any people you might be thinking of, this might refer to. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4, I will make mere lads their princes and capricious children will rule over them, and the people will be oppressed, each one by another, and each one by his neighbor, and the youth will storm against the elder and the inferior against the honorable. 
verse 12 of Isaiah 3, O my people, their oppressors are children and women who rule over them. O my people, those who guide you, lead you astray and confuse the direction of your path. Just maybe as a sign of God's judgment against a rebellious nation, we're getting exactly the rulers we deserve, and God is sending wicked, incompetent rulers that guide or lead us astray and confuse the direction of our path to intentionally create situations where everything around us is becoming increasingly chaotic, increasingly fearful, increasingly difficult, darker. And just maybe... God is allowing all these things to deteriorate around us so that we, as his representatives, as ambassadors for Christ, as light in a dark world, we can take the focus off ourselves and all the inconveniences we are facing in a, a chaotic world that's crumbling all around us. And maybe once we get a proper perspective, we can refocus that biblical perspective and realize that life is not all about us or our temporal happiness, but it's about God, His glory, and the glory of His Son, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe just a reminder that the gospel is the issue and that men, men everywhere need to come uh, into uh, a repentance and a reconciled relationship with God through Christ. Just maybe. Coupled with the fact that I think it's true that God has left the church and the world to be truth-tellers and all men are accountable to him, even earthly rulers. And every once in a while, we need to remind them of that. Again, no matter what kind of hardships men endure here in time, time is relatively short compared to eternity. And therefore, our interest should be the interest of the Savior eternally, right? We should be eternally minded to make sure that men, to call men, to make sure that they're all in the right relationship with the living God through the person of Jesus Christ. And again, whatever difficulties, whatever hardships that God has placed us in or placed around us, again, God's still sovereign over all of it. If our heart's right, we recognize that fact that God has absolute control of every circumstance, every situation, no matter what happens. Do you think perhaps God might be sovereign over a virus? Maybe. Do you think God might be sovereign over another virus that's coming in the future? Is there some big event happening in 2024? Uh, do you think there might be any kind of chaos leading up to whatever might happen in 2024? Do you think there might be some big spiritual battle that's going on behind the scenes for power and control? Maybe. What if another virus comes? What if the electric grid goes down? What if there's another world war that breaks out, whatever it may be? If we understand the fact that God is sovereign over the affairs of men, that's going to bring us who know him in these kind of situations great comfort. And that's going to allow us who have great comfort in our God, who are looking up to where our God is, it's going to allow us to offer hope to those around us who don't know Christ, who are going to find themselves in increasing situations of terror. What was the controlling factor in the last pandemic? What was the factor that motivated everybody to go this way and go this way and don't do that and stay in and put a mask on and stand up and sit down and don't talk to anybody you let people die in nursing homes without ever touching them is what? Fear. Right? Men fear death. Men should fear death, right? Because it's appointed unto man what? Wants to die and then comes the... You realize that that verse that we quote all the time has nothing to do with the believer, right? Because there's now therefore what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're free of judgment. The whole world lies in the power of the evil, and the whole world is headed towards judgment unless they repent and place their faith in Christ. Therefore, I would go back to what I said earlier. The gospel is the issue everywhere. The gospel is the solution. So in the next few years, if you happen to get hauled off into jail uh, because of your faith in Christ, you can either spend your time in jail complaining about how unjust you're being treated, or you can realize that what men mean for evil, uh, God works out for good. And perhaps God has sovereignly appointed you and declared you to be the one who presents hope to those people who are incarcerated with you in the jail cell. It's a perspective issue, right? God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the affairs of nations and over the affairs of men. And God sovereignly is even, uh, God in his sovereignty is even over the governing authorities. Again, some we struggle with, or something we struggle with, but I think something that gives us great hope if we really understand and embrace the sovereignty uh, of God. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things long past, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish my good pleasure. 
that's a great hope, right? And the knowledge of the sovereignty of God, uh, to, to realize that he's going to accomplish exactly what he desires to accomplish through whomever he is allowed to be in a position of power and authority. Again, whether it be a good ruler or, or a wicked ruler, uh, th- that's not the issue. The issue is our heart, our heart attitudes towards authority, acknowledging the fact that God is absolutely in control, God is in charge, and he's the one who works all things out for his glory and for the best of his people. Therefore, we can go to bed and rest, right? We can sleep at night because of that reality. We don't have to be worried about all these things. God is working it all out. He's in charge. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, again, biblical submission doesn't necessarily mean blind obedience. There's a difference, again, between obedience and submission. Obedience talks about performance. Submission deals with the attitude of your heart. So, again, there may be times when you cannot obey the authority over you. And even in that refusal to obey the authority over you, there needs to be a hard attitude that respects uh, the office. And I think I made mention of that last time, right, uh, about Daniel, right? A couple different times, three different times in Daniel's existence there in Babylon, he did not say pound sand to a ruler who came and asked him to do something. He showed respect to each of those authorities and said, I cannot do this right? Here's an option on diet, and I cannot bow to the golden image. You do whatever you need to do. God is able to save me. Even if he doesn't, I'm willing to accept the consequences, right? And then when he was committed, commanded not to pray, he prayed anyway. Open the drapes, stand out in the middle so everybody can see you, because he's making a statement that God is in charge and he serves God, right? They're going to throw him in the lion's den, and you know the story, right? And so, again, it's all done with an attitude of submission, respect to authority. Now, there are biblical reasons why there may come a time when you cannot obey the earthly authority over you. And listen, that's going to be a fascinating discussion in the future, not tonight, but it's going to be a fascinating discussion. And I think there's a whole lot for us to consider under that heading because people pretty much have taught the, and obeyed the adage, obey government at all times unless it commands you to sin. And the truth is that adage is in and of itself woefully inadequate and really gives government a level of deference that is really owed only to God. And interestingly enough, that view is not the one historically that has been the view of Christians towards government. And that was something that we all had to kind of figure out again when the COVID thing came. What's the right of the church? What's the right of the government? How do we, how do we figure this all out? right? And so there are three broad categories, and so I'll just give you a little tease here. The three broad categories for not obeying human government. Number one, when government commands what God forbids, again, we're not going through this tonight. We'll go through it in detail later, but when government commands what God forbids, number two, when government forbids what God commands, right? When government forbids what God commands. And then number three, when government commands what's not theirs to command, so here they are again, when government commands what God forbids, when God, government forbids what God commands, and when government commands what's not theirs to command. So uh, again, it could be infringing on the areas that relate to the function of the church, which is not the government's rule. It's not the government's right of realm. Uh, if you want to use a vernacular, it's not their lane. They need to stay in their lane. So what goes on in the church is not the lane of the government. Or, and, and have to be very careful here not to take... Uh, craziness to extremes, but when the government overreaches on uh, its God-ordained purposes to check evil and to promote the common good. That's why God has established government. So when government commands what is not theirs to command, for example, now I don't know if some of you know this, I know some folks are from from down south, but in Gainesville, Georgia, and I looked, it was as of uh, 2020, there's an ordinance on the books that says you must eat fried chicken with your fingers. You cannot use utensils. So if you find yourself in Gainesville, just a heads up, right? If you find yourself in Gainesville and you're eating your fried chicken with a fork and knife, you might get arrested, but you're probably not disobeying God, right? God would probably allow you to eat your chicken with, with a knife and fork if you decided to do that, right? Right? even though the location may uh, abans it. So sometimes government 
uh, overreaches. Government, again, has been given by God uh, to check evil, to promote the common good. Therefore, it's probably somewhat of an overreach to say, if you don't do this. Now, they may find you anyway, but it's somewhat of an overreach. Right? So that's one of the categories. On a whole, we should generally uh, uh, comply with the laws of the land and recognize that some laws go too far uh, exceptions really should be exceptions. And then if we decide this is outside the realm of what we believe government uh, is uh, responsible to addict uh, um, a, a law or to declare a law, then you're going to have to choose to take the consequences, right? Give us seven days, and if we don't look better, then, you know, you do whatever you want to do with this, right? So we just accept the consequences. Now, before we can get all of that, again, I told you a discussion for another night. I want to quickly go back through this, and I want you to see seven reasons. We're only going to get through five of them, but I'm going to give you all seven headings at least. Seven reasons why Christians are to submit to government. And, and I've already touched on some, so you're going to forgive me because I'm going to repeat myself, and I'm doing it with somewhat intentionality and somewhat with the fact that it's senility setting in. But you're okay. It's probably good to hear it over and over again, right? Okay, seven reasons. Reason number one. Again, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. Reason number one why Christians are to submit to human government is, again, governments ordained by God. Government is by divine decree. There is no authority except from God for those who exist are established by God. So again, human, human government is ordained by God, exists for the benefits of, of society. Psalm 62, 11 says power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. Everybody in the universe is an absolute abject subjection to God's authority. Everything in the heavens and in, in, in the earth, including Satan himself, and his angels are under the absolute control of God. Therefore, any kind of power that a person has or a group of people may have or hold on to is divinely delegated authority. No man has the right of power over another man which does not come from God himself. And God in his human wisdom permits uh, men to use this delegated authority for maintaining order over the earth. So again, it reminds us of the fact, again, that God is sovereign over the affairs of men, and he is well aware of what's going on in this world, and nothing happens apart from his knowledge, nothing happens apart from his will. Now, in this world, it's a fallen world, we understand that. It's a world that has uh, fallen, uh, fallen men. It's a world that's greatly influenced by the power of the evil one, the ruler of this world, the prince of darkness, right, Satan himself. But God is still sovereign. And his sovereignty is without exception uh, or, or limitation. And for the purpose of his sovereign, uh, his, his, for his purposes and his sovereign wisdom, he has permitted Satan to exercise a vast but limited power over the world and over the affairs of men. Now, Satan can't make men sin, but certainly uh, Satan, since the fall in the Garden of Eden, has used every means at his disposal to entice men to indulge in their fleshly passions and lusts. And consequently, what you get throughout the history of men ruling over other men is you get sometimes very poor governments. You get very poor governments. Perhaps, at times, even governments that are highly influenced by demonic forces, such as Adolf Hitler, such as Joseph Stalin, such as Mao Zedong or Pol Pot or Idi Amin. And I would be remiss if I didn't add to that list our present government here in the United States under Joe Biden. And that is not a political statement. That's a statement of truth and reality. For any government to proactively promote and encourage the murder of innocent children in the womb is wicked. It's not a choice. Listen to me. It's not a choice. It's wickedness. Likewise, for any government to attempt to divide children from their parents and to do irreversible physical and psychological harm to a child through the promotion of surgical mutilation of a young child's body who are confused over the issue of their gender is not kindness. It, too, is also abject wickedness, and it needs to be called out as such. It is outright demonic. The attack on our children in this country is great from their murder to their mutilation, to the intentional sexualization of our children, the intentional indoctrination of our children, and attempted perversion of their minds in the classroom and the libraries through the so-called, quote-unquote, drag queen story hour, etc., and so forth. That is all abject evil. And the Lord Jesus Christ had some very strong things, some very harsh words to say against those who harm children. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it's better for him to have a heavy millstone be hung around his neck that he should be drowned in the depths of the sea, Matthew 18, 6. 
So Joe Biden and his administration will be held accountable before God for their evil, uh, their evil atrocities towards children. And every once in a while, they need to be reminded of that truth. That's the truth. Again, there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So while all power comes from God, and all uh, uh, power is delegated to men, how well or how poorly men use that delegated authority is a completely different issue. A completely different issue. Now, when the Lord stood before Pilate, who had a position of delegated authority, because that position had been given to him by God, Pilate is the one who bore the responsibility for that God-given authority, and and he's going to bear great responsibility for what he does with the person of Jesus Christ who's standing in front of him. And when Pilate condemns a man whom he knows who's innocent, as he recognizes that out of envy the religious leaders have handed him over to Pilate in the first place, nevertheless, Jesus uh, uh, never comes and suggests that Pilate's authority should be revolted again. He does never suggest that Pilate's authority should be overturned. And again, Pilate's about to make a tremendous error uh, by condemning an innocent man. But Jesus never says to Pilate, you know what, I should be the governor over this area, not you. So I'm going to call a legion of angels down, and we're going to remove you, and I'm going to step in and hold that position that you're in. He, he never said that. Christ submitted himself to Pilate as the earthly leader because he's submitting himself for the Father's sake and for the sake of the elect. The pilot's authority because God has a higher plan and a purpose. Obviously, Christ can see that, but we just as men can't see what God is doing. We don't have that ability unless it's revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. So again, Jesus really stands as an example over us that we're obligated, or an example to us that we're obligated to submit to authority over us, whether it be good authority, bad authority, just authority, or unjust. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So again, the point is all authority, all power comes from God and God alone. And God has instituted human government by decree as part of his plan for fallen mankind. Now again, we may not understand at times why God allows uh, very evil, very wicked governments, governors, rulers to to exist. But we do know that the Bible again says that he uses them for his sovereign purposes to promote his glory. And sometimes God uses wicked rulers in order to punish wicked people, wicked nations. And he allows evil to, I think, in contrast, put in contrast that which is evil compared to that which is good, right? Why does evil exist in the world? Well, at least one purpose. You can see the evil in the world compared to the goodness of God, and men can see that great difference. Let every person be in subjection to governing authorities. Again, the principle of being in subjection applies to everybody in the world, every believer in the world, no matter what kind of government they're under. Now, Paul wasn't the only one who ever said that, or the only one who ever taught that in the New Testament. Peter, actually writing to believers, as it were, uh, those who are scattered through Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen in 1 Peter 1 and 1, says this, 1 Peter 2, 13, submit yourself, here it is, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, do not use your wisdom or do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but as bond slaves of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So people, unbelievers are always watching us, always watching us. Always watching your life, because your life is a testimony to the unbelieving world around you. Therefore, the Christian really should be the model citizen in the culture, respectful of government, rather than rebellious or demeaning of it. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or governors, right? Now, again, we need to speak the truth, and we need to speak against governing authorities that promote sin, injustice, immorality, godlessness, evil, and wickedness, but with an attitude of respect towards that authority. Right? God-given authority, living as godly people, peaceable lives amongst an ungodly society, manifesting the saving power of the person of Christ in our life, right? Through the glories of Christ. How do we live our lives, right? We live it differently from the fallen world around us. 
I think we have to be very careful, again, when it comes to the issue of politics, because people get crazy on that, and we, it's easy for us to jump in. When politics, when the state is temporal, the reality is men are eternal. There's a higher, higher issue than who gets elected to this office or that issue, or that office. Second reason why as Christians were to submit to human government, because resistance to human government is rebellion against God. Let every person be in subjection to governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Verse 2, therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. So again, resistance to human government is rebellion against the person of God himself. God has ordained government. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. <clears throat> it's an institution. Government is an institution by God for fallen man, and to rebel against it is to directly rebel against God himself, the one who's established human government and human authority. When it says there, he who resists authority, the word resists means basically to arrange in battle against, to oppose or set oneself against. So in essence, what you're doing when, you, when we resist uh, uh, governing authorities is we're setting ourselves in battle uh, against God, and that's opposing God, and that's probably not a very good position to find yourself in. He who resists authority is opposed to God and, uh, and the ordinances of God. Now again, are we okay? Right? We're, we're following me? Did I say you've got to get in line, put the wax shirt on? I never said that. I said there are times when you can't. You can't obey, but you can submit. We're talking about a heart attitude here. <clears throat> when we resist through words or through actions, again, there may be godly reasons, and I gave you some of the broad outlines, but when we resist God's authority, we're actually setting ourselves in battle against him. We're failing to realize, it says in Acts uh, uh, chapter 17, verse 24, uh, the God who made the world and all the things in it, since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one, verse 26, he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. God, is a, God has <clears throat> appointed every human government and every nation that has existed in the world, and he's the sovereign. He determines their rise. He determines their fall. He determines the appointed time of their stay. He determines the appointed geographical location uh, of their boundaries in which they're going to function and exist. So the form of government within that country, that nation, that, that is really not an issue. The de democracy, uh, 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 communism, monarchy, that's irrelevant. God is sovereign. God allows us each to be born under these different kinds of systems as believers, as governments, but he's the one who has ordained government. He is the one who has ordained the stay of that government for his appointed purposes and his appointed reasons. He made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. It would be my preference, but no one's asked me, God hasn't asked me, it'd be my preference the United States lasts for a lot longer. If the United States does not last for a lot longer, is that okay? Well, my preference would be, but then I have to say, well, God is sovereign over the affairs of men, so in God's sovereign purposes, he's the one who raises up, he's the one who brings down rulers and nations. <clears throat> now I got to get, <laughs> I definitely, if the United States collapsed, I definitely got to get that globe picture out of my mind and go, oh yeah, he told me to get it on the other side of the world and start thinking biblically about Israel and the Jewish people and the nations, what God is doing through the nations, through the Jewish Messiah, right? The perspective has to change. Our preferences would be, but God is perhaps bigger than our preferences. Again, I'm, I'm hoping that we stay around for a long time, but we're really not the issue on the planet. God is. So the system is not as important. Again, whatever kind of system, system that men live under, uh, again, democracies or, or communist systems or monarchies, whatever, the system is not as important as the hard attitude of being submissive and subjective and obedient to that rule of government that we find ourselves under. Again, we need to realize that as Christians, to resist government <clears throat> is to place ourselves in rebellion against God. And to stand in rebellion against God is probably a pretty dangerous place to be because God judges with great severity those who stand in opposition to him. Third reason why as Christians we have to submit to government. 
uh, submit to human authority is that those who resist human authority or human government are going to be punished. Uh, again, verse 2 continues, right? We're going to be punished if you resist uh, human authority. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they that who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, government exists, again, by divine purposes, by divine decree, to place yourself in opposition, uh, to place yourself in, in opposition as a rebel against God. And if you resist the God-ordained government authority, then you can expect to be <clears throat> punished from that government by your rebellion, because of your rebellion. Now, I don't think he's really talking about God's direct judgment here on those who oppose authority. That could happen, but I don't think that's really in the context here. What I think he's saying is, look, in the governing authorities, the authority that the government has and the responsibility that it has, the right it brings to given, given them by God to punish those who break its laws. For example, this probably has never applied to anybody in the room, so I'll just give you this crazy one out there. Um, the the uh, speed limit says uh, 20, and you're doing 65. probably would not be surprised <clears throat> to face the consequences of breaking the law of the land, right? Well, that would, we would expect to be punished for that. They have a rule. Here's the rule. You, you violated the rule, right? So as Christians, we need to submit ourselves to government authority, governmental authorities, because to, to resist government is uh, going to cause you to be punished. Number four, the fourth reason that a Christian should submit to government, human government, those in human authority, is that government serves to restrain evil. Verse three says, for rulers are not a cause for fear of good behavior, but for evil. So again, if you're an honest citizen doing what you're supposed to be do uh, in your culture, you probably have no need of fear from uh, the, the keepers of law and order. However, if you are disobedient, <clears throat> then you probably rightly should fear uh, the, the governing authorities. Now, obviously, Paul's speaking in general terms. You can give me all kinds of examples, but Paul's speaking of general terms here uh, because he's the one who'd suffered a great deal at the hand of rulers who abused and punished him for no other reason except he was doing what God had called him to do, and that's the promoting of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ. But the general rule is, even under the most wicked governments uh, throughout the history of men, for those who obey the law of the land, rulers are really, in, in general, no cause of fear for them, right? E even under the worst governments, the most wicked rulers, they know the difference between right and wrong. They know the difference between good and evil. They know, therefore, that it's part of their duty, even as wicked rulers, they understand it's part of their duty to punish bad behavior and promote good behavior. Because any society for it to function, to succeed, cannot exist in a constant state of wanton evil. For any society to function, to succeed, it cannot exist in a constant state of wanton evil, unstopped theft, uh, dishonesty, sexual perversion, violence, murder, all those kind of things unchecked are going to destroy a people. Good behavior is essential for any nation's self-preservation because without the, uh, uh, or, or without the promotion of good and the restraint of evil, society can't, can't survive. It just can't. It's going to eventually self-destruct. Just look at many of the big cities in our country where law and order are no longer enforced. Chaos is everywhere. It's unsustainable, right? Chaos is everywhere. Mass lootings, stores being mobbed by groups of people stealing everything. It's unsustainable. In fact, um, I told myself I was going to write his name down, but I can't. Daryl Harrison. I heard Daryl Harrison, right, the Just Thinking guys. I heard him speaking on a podcast the other day, and he said in California they have a law, because he's from California, um, he says in California they have a law that you can steal up to $900 worth of goods without penalty. But now there are penalties being acted by the California state legislature that if you try to stop those who are stealing, you're going to be in trouble. And, and that's just insanity. That, that kind of activity cannot be sustained. That's why company after company is pulling out of California. Right? That, 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 that's unsustainable. Uh, that, 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 that civilization, that living in that kind of realm is unsustainable without law and order. Again, that's why companies are leaving California, company or people are leaving California. And maybe if you were cynical or at least had a biblical worldview that there's evil everywhere, perhaps some of this chaos that's going on and being allowed is also intentional. 
Because the more chaos and confusion you can cause, the more disorder and destruction you go, we don't want to do that. Well, the more disorder and destruction that you can cause and are allowed to happen, people at some point are going to say, enough, can government come help me? Which again allows government to have a greater overreach uh, into uh, society than maybe it, it should rightly have. All right? You can argue that one with me later. The fifth reason why Christians are to submit themselves to government authorities or human authorities over them is the government serves again to promote good. Biblically, government serves to promote good. Uh, verse 3 again, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do, uh, do uh, you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Verse 4, for it is a minister of God for your good. So again, God and his purposes have ordained government to promote the welfare of the people. So again, in general, uh, throughout the history of the world, law-abiding citizens have been treated favorably uh, by their government. Now, that may change. That may change. But most governments, even bad governments, don't normally uh, persecute those under their rule who are doing what they ask them to do, who are doing good and obeying the law. Rather, they offer praise to those who do the right thing. It's interesting. I read uh, this a while back. It comes from uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in, in one of his uh, writings. During World War II, uh, Joseph Stalin had given orders not to persecute or molest Christians. So he relaxes the laws against Christians, and the reason for doing that was at this time of war, Russia was in a desperate position. They needed hardworking men and women. And reports kept coming to Stalin that the best and most reliable workers in the factories were a strange group of people who called themselves Christians. And the Christians were doing what they were commanded to do and they were doing their work better than anyone else. And when the news came back to Stalin about these Christians that were hard workers doing what they were asked to do, he backed off them. He protect, protected them because of their actions as good citizens. And, and, and that encouraged them, obviously. Do, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God for your good. And I told you previously that phrase, minister of God, we would get our English word deacon from. So that's that's really what a minister, or that's what a, a, a government is. They're ministers of God. They're deacons. They're servants of God. They're administrators of God. God has ordained government not only to restrain evil, but promote good uh, amongst God's people. So those authorities really serve God. They represent him. They're to carry out his divine ordained command to promote good. Now, some of them may personally not realize that. Some of them may not know that that's their role, as they're being, playing it out. And some of them may not even know the Lord Jesus, right, as Savior. But nevertheless, that's the function that they perform under God's divine sovereignty. So government is a minister for the good of the people. Uh, and so you can kind of look in history and, and get that, you know. It's true that Christians were persecuted uh, under Roman emperors. That's true. But also it's true that the Roman government provided a certain set of protection for Paul for quite a period of time and saved his life from his fellow countrymen. So the same, the same system that persecutes is the same system that also provides uh, Paul some protection that he needs from his fellow countrymen. So, so again, the, the Roman government's evil, evil, they're pagan in nature, they don't know the true and the living God. Nevertheless, they were acting in that moment as a minister of God for good as it served and saved Paul's life so that he can continue to, uh, to declare and explain the gospel. So again, whatever system we find ourselves, whatever country we find ourselves in, instead of joining with those who are in oppo opposition to the government, uh, even though we may have a legitimate concern about governors and governing authorities, we need to be thankful, number one, that God has established government, established government, because he's done that to maintain order and promote good. We should be thankful that God has uh, uh, ordained government to restrain evil. Now, again, whether or not rulers over top of us do that, that's another issue. But that's what God's point of government is. Government authority, again, whatever comes, um, uh, whatever form it exists is really a mercy from God to men in a fallen world because without any kind of form of government, the world would be absolute, complete chaos. It'd be just like in the end of the book of Judges where everybody's doing what is what? Right in their own eyes. Now, we're quickly returning to that condition, but again, it's nothing more than chaos and certainly would not be for the promotion of good and promotion of the welfare of the people. So again, even in countries where coups take place, we're going to remove one government for another government. Uh, all, all you get is one set of rules being removed and another set of rules uh, enacted, right? Human governments are always going to be imperfect. 
Because every, every human government is, is ruled by imperfect people. Listen, shock, even in the church, even in the church. At times, leaders of the church are, are going to make mistakes, right? Because we're fallen also, right? We're not going to make a decision at times that everybody in the room is going to agree with uh, because we're all fallen men. And again, from an elder's position, there are certain things that perhaps we might know about a situation that's just not a common knowledge to everybody. But even in that situation, where there be human governments or government in the church, we can all rest in the fact that God is sovereign. Even if we make bad decisions, God is still sovereign, right? He uses fallen men. That's all he has to work with. He uses fallen men for the promotion of good, for the promotion of his people, and we need to, need to understand that. Now, reason six and seven, again, I'm just going to give you the headings, and I may or may not get to that next week. I, I will get to it at some point. At some point, obviously, I want to deal with the exceptions because everybody wants the exceptions, right? Uh, number six, reason why government has the right, uh, why, um, why Christians should be obedient or submissive to government is government has the right to inflict punishment, right? Government has the right to bear the sword, Right? Government has the right to bear the sword, right to bear punishment, inflict punishment, even capital punishment on those who break its laws. Verse 4, for it is a minister, God, uh, government, it's a minister of God for your good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger of those who bring, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. And then number seven, the reason why uh, we should submit to government is uh, human government uh, is for the sake of our conscience. Verse 5, Whoever, therefore, or wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but for the sake of conscience, all right? And, and we'll look at those when we get to that, all right? Is that okay? Can you deal with that? I hope so. Lord, thanks for this time that you have given us uh, in your word tonight. It's a lot of material, I know. A lot of things to think, a lot of uh, uh, um, what-ifs, a lot of how do we apply these truths. Um, but again, we have to know what it says before we can apply it. We have to know what the truth is before we can look at any kind of application of the truth and to see where there might be exceptions in certain situations that we are called to obey you and we just cannot obey governing authorities. And again, we just need to be very careful with that and think biblically on these issues. And I pray this is at least part of a discussion that moves us towards that. We live in a complicated world, but the complicated world is ruled by you. You're sovereign over all the affairs of men, and for that we're very thankful, and we honor you for that. Thank you for a great day of worship. Thank you for, the, uh, again, another affirmation this morning of the reality that Jesus Christ really came out of the tomb. Uh, there's no other explanation uh, for it, and we praise you for that. That gives us great hope. And here in the evening, we have great hope that you're sovereign over the affairs of men, wicked rulers, good rulers. It doesn't matter. You are working out your eternal purposes, and you're calling men and women to repentance and faith in Christ, and the gospel really is the issue, not the state of affairs that we live under, but the eternal destinies of men. And even more than the eternal destinies of men is your honor and the honor of the Savior uh, who is worthy to be worshipped. And we do that. Thank you for this day of worship. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.